Okay, let me try this. Hopefully this is working. Would you let me know that you're online, that uh, you're watching, because I'm having trouble with my software here this morning. Hopefully this is working. Um, hello, hello. Boy, this is lonely, doing this by myself. That's good. All right. Hello, Meredith. Good to see you. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Let me let me open with prayer. I had to flip over to regular Facebook here to make all this work. So I'm not going to have all the bells and whistles, but I've got you, and so that's what matters. And hopefully, Meredith, maybe you can tell uh, Sally and Connie and some of the others where we are. I had to restart. So, Father in heaven, I thank you that you're with us, that you're for us, that you can overcome any obstacle. And Lord, if we have a desire and we're willing to work for it, we can receive manna from heaven, what it is you're asking uh, us to receive. So it's, it's your presence, it's worship, it's your word. So bless everything we say and do here in these, in these next moments together. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to sing a couple more, and hopefully you guys will find me as I'm singing. The good news is this will be archived for later, so you can watch the whole thing if you desire.
television would you turn off the noise just create a sacred space between you and the Lord close your eyes and just focus in on Jesus for a minute Hallelujah, praise the Lord. let's give God our full undivided hearts and attention today worthy Lord Bye. 
It's your breath in our bones. So we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath in our bones. So we pour out our praise to you only. Great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. You give life, you are love.
going to read the one-year Bible here and see what's going on with today's reading in October. Thank you. Thankfully, many of you found us here on the feed. I know we had some fits and starts. My apologies for the technology. You know, we do what we can do. And thankfully, we're going to have in-person worship services pretty soon at Castleview High School, so we're not going to have all the fits and, and uh, starts with all the difficulty. We're pretty soon going to be able to do this in person again very soon, so I'm glad for that. Good to see Lori and Tim and my wife and many others, some other Facebook friends as well. Hopefully Bruce and my mother have got the feed for this. I know they have a hard time sometimes technology-wise to find us, so if somebody wants to message that to my mom or Bruce, that would be great. Um, October 18th in the One Year Bible is Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 32. And um, this is what God is saying. He says, But this is the new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Isn't that beautiful? God wants to make a new covenant, a new agreement. It's not a, it's not a covenant of, of legalism and laws and religion. God wants to write his law, his love on our hearts. God wants to not only get us to, to start to behave right, but to love him. And when we love God, then we want to live for God. And as we live for God, we start to, then we start to behave ourselves and we start to live right. And as we do that, as he's written his law on our hearts, then we become the people that he wants us to be. So that's a beautiful thing. I have some candles lit here in the studio. I got a new candle. This is, you know, mocha is one of my favorite coffees. I got a, a scented mocha candle. <laughs> and talking about today, about the person of Elijah. Elijah and Moses are, are prophesied really to come back in the book of Revelation. I'm going to explain that a little bit in my message today. But they, they are the lampstands that God is going to bring to Jerusalem and light up for the whole world to see. And I want to sing one more worship song before we get into the Bible study. And it's, it's uh, Here I Am to Worship. And the opening lines of Here I Am to Worship says, Light of the world, you step down into darkness. You open my eyes and let me see. You know, as we let the light of Christ illuminate our minds and our hearts and our lives, and we begin to let the kingdom of God flow through us, and the love of Jesus is manifest to, the, to a world that needs him so desperately. How many know we need Jesus now more than ever before? Give me a thumbs up if you know that's right. We need Jesus now more than ever before. We need him in every sphere. We need him in arts and entertainment. We need him in culture. We need him in education. We need him in, in government. We need him in every area. You name the, the seven mountains of culture of influence, we need God in every part of our world, in every nation of our world. And Jesus is our only hope. So let's sing to him. Let's sing about him as we sing Here I Am to Worship today. This heart adore you, open 
in person, but it's still better than nothing. So God, we thank you that we can gather in your name and come into agreement for how wonderful you truly are. And as we study the person of Elijah today, would you strengthen us? 
Will you help us to be like him, a firebrand to our generation that declares the greatness of God and calls a nation to repentance. So we love you, God. We worship you. Bless the study of your word now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Awesome. Good to see you. Hey, grab a Bible, grab your coffee. We're going to get into our study. We're going to do a two-week study of the person of Elijah. So um, God bless you. Let me put the guitar up and we'll get into it. All right. Well, I know I have to make a, a slight commentary about the Green Bay Packer gear. For all you, all you uh, Bronco fans, I apologize out there. But this is a brand new jacket. My beautiful wife, Kim, gave me from the Packer Pro Shop this week. So this is all for the new season. Packers play the Buccaneers today, so it's going to be the Battle of Tom Brady and uh, Aaron Rodgers. It's going to be a real shootout. should be fun. But I, I'm guessing it's going to be a high-scoring game. Um, that's just a guess. But, uh, yeah, hope your team wins today, everybody. And, you know, football and, and baseball and basketball, I've gotten so weird. We're, we're, we're seeing our professional athletes play in front of cardboard cutouts. It's so strange. We're living in strange times. I'm preaching to a camera with no one else in the room. These are just crazy days we're living in. But, you know what? God knew all about 2020. Nothing about 2020 took God by surprise. So, Let's open God's Word and get into it. We've been studying um, and doing uh, a sermon series. I'm saying, nope, nope. It's the people. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I got I to, gotta, I, you know, I got to stay married to that beautiful lady named Kim, and she is uh, a lovely lady. Um, yes, Battle of the Bays. Yes, you're right, Kim. So turn in your Bible with me to 1 Kings chapter 12. We've been studying people in the Old Testament Talking about tag 2020, take and give 2020, that God puts something into our hands, and sometimes he puts something in our hands to provide for us, and he also puts things in our hands so we can pour back out. So we receive from God, we also give. And there's this reciprocal relationship, like there's, there's sowing and reaping, planting and harvest. As long as the earth remains, there's always going to be seed time and harvest. There's going to be early lanes and rains and latter rains. There's always going to be a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then a recycle. And that's how, that's how the world works. That's how God has set up this world in times and in seasons. And 2020 is a very strange season. I would say this whole year has been strange. Do you know that the, in the Jewish calendar, 2020 is the year of the mouth? They've called it the year of the mouth because of the, the symbol for this year. And isn't it strange that all of us have our mouths covered in the year of the mouth? I think that's pretty, pretty unusual. There's something there for us to, to study and to think about. But we're going to do a two-week study on the person of Elijah. And there are a lot of key players in the person of Elijah. There's Ahab, there's Jezebel. There's his understudy, Elisha, the nation of Israel, two kingdoms, the, the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern king, kingdom of Israel. You see that the 12 tribes of Israel had been divided into two in the south and ten in the north. And God had a very specific plan for Elijah. But uh, let, me, let me pray uh, just over God's word and anointing. Father, bless everything we study and learn. Help us to apply it to our lives and not just have it in our heads, but help us to put it into practice in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as we are picking up, we finished our study of the house of David yesterday, last Sunday as we talked about King Solomon. And what we see is Solomon had a son 
a very fat son <laughs> named Rehoboam. And he was a young and foolish king. And, of course, Solomon had taxed the people a lot to build the temple, to build the palaces, to do all the building projects. And the taxes had become very burdensome to the people of Israel. And Rehoboam asked his dad's advisors, what should I do as I become king of Israel? And the advisors, his dad's advisors, the older advisors said, well, this is probably the time to lift the burden off the necks of the people uh, because the people are saying the taxes are too much. We can't keep uh, paying all these as, as heavy the taxes were. If you'll just lift the burden a little bit, uh, we'll serve you. All of us will serve you. And he said, well, come back in two, three days, and I'll give you my answer. And then Rehoboam goes to his younger advisors, and they say, you know, they think it's bad now. You know, you could, you could tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. That's how we know Rehoboam was a big guy. And he says, he, he, uh, he beat you with whips. I'm going to beat you with scorpions. You think, the you think the tax burden was bad under my father. It's going to be really bad under me. And, of course, the people revolt. And only two of the tribes remain. And the ten other tribes split off into the northern kingdom of Israel. And they follow this, this young, upstart, rebellious person named Jeroboam. And Jeroboam becomes the king of the northern tribes of Israel. It's what you could call an Israeli, the first Israeli civil war as the two, the two kingdoms divided into southern and northern tribes. Now there's this prophet named Shemaiah, who spoke over Jer Jerusalem, and uh, let me just read here from 1 Kings chapter 12, when we get into the study, uh, Shemaiah's prophecy. When Rehoboam arrived at Jerusalem, he mobilized the men of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 select troops, to fight against the men of Israel, and to restore the kingdom to himself. So he's trying to quash rebellion and bring these tribes back under submission. But God said to Shemaiah, the man of God, Say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the people of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the, of the people, this is what the Lord says. Do not fight against your relatives, the Israelites. Go back home, for what has happened is my doing. So they obeyed the message of the Lord and went home as the Lord commanded. God ordained a split in the nation of Israel. Isn't that interesting? God ordained a division between the tribes. God was up to something. It, it was his purpose. It was his good purpose to take the ten tribes out from underneath Rehoboam's reign and raise up this young man named Jeroboam. And, of course, both of these kings were idolatrous kings. But we can see in another biblical example of how God does this. God raises one person up. And he takes another person down. King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9, verse 11, 9-11, in 9-11 of Ecclesiastes, I think an interesting scripture reference for us as Americans. Here's what Solomon says. He says, I have observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race. And the strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry. And the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It is all decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. People can never predict when hard times might come. I mean, no, that's right. 
Like fish in a net or birds in a trap, people are caught by sudden tragedy. We've seen that in 2020, haven't we? People are caught by sudden tragedy. In the book of Psalms, David writes that it, it, it's God's good pleasure to bring one up and to bring another one down. He brings down one and exalts another. Psalm 75, verse 7. Isn't that interesting? That God was doing something in Israel, dividing the kingdom into two different kingdoms. And so we see these two kingdoms begin to run parallel with one another. Several generations pass in Israel and in Judah. And both kingdoms are idol worshippers. Both kingdoms are turning away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to worship these other false gods. And we get to the point in the northern kingdom where there's an even a, a civil war in the northern kingdom between a, a man named Tish, T Tibni and Omri. And Tibni and Omri fight to, for dominance in the northern kingdom. And Omri wins that fight, that northern civil war, and becomes the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, which is an idol-worshipping king. And he becomes the father of a very famous king in Israeli history named Ahab. Now, Ahab was not necessarily a, a son of David. He was a, a son of Omri. And, of course, they can trace their their uh, roots to different tribes and different people. And, of course, many kings would, would say that they are following in the footsteps of different kings. But among these rebels, pagan leadership becomes a test of strength between Tibni and versus Omri. You see, that's true. When you begin to turn your back on God, you start to, to try to find a leader. You don't look for a godly leader. You look for a strong leader. And that's what hap happens with Omni. Omni. He's not... Omri, he is not a godly guy, he's just a strong guy. And we see this, this happens later in another generation with a, name, a king named Jehu, but I get ahead of myself. So Ahab, the son of Omri, takes rulership in the northern kingdom of Israel. And I'm going to pick this up, this is sec, uh, 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29. It says, Ahab, son of Omri, began to rule over Israel in the 38th year of King Asa's reign in Judah, and he reigned... In Samaria, only 22 years. But Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. Now that's saying something. Because there were a lot of evil things done in the name of God. Verse 31, And as, as though it were not enough to follow the sinful example of Jeroboam, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethbaal of the Sidonians, and he began to bow down in, in the worship of Baal. And the, at first, Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria, and then he set up an Asherah pole, and he did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any other kings of Israel before him. I want to, now a lot of people go, what is Baal? What is Baal worship? Well, it was actually a sex worship. Baal was the male figure, and Asherah was his female counterpart. And uh, they were brother and sister gods, and there were temple prostitutes, both male and female, the fertility gods. So people would go and have sex with male and female prostitutes in the temple of Baal. And it was a, it was a wicked practice. Uh, it, people were, were uh, serving other gods in idolatry through sex worship. Pretty evil, t evil stuff, evil times. So we think we have evil things happening now. It was pretty evil back then, too. And this pagan worship was taking over all of Israel, all of Judah, and they were all serving Baal. And 
There were only a few godly people in the country at the time. And this is where Elijah enters the picture. Elijah is just a simple man from Gilead, a little town and a little village in the north of Israel. And this is what happens. This is uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. And now Elijah, who is from Tishbe in Gilead, told Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, and the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Who is this Elijah? Well, he's a prophet of the Lord. He's a man that simply obeyed God. If there's going to be any one particular theme that we see in Elijah as we study today and next Sunday, is that Elijah heard from God and he obeyed. He heard, he trusted, and he obeyed. God, he was always listening. Elijah had a listening ear for God. He trusted what God said, and he went ahead and did what God said to do. If we're going to learn anything as, as spiritual people, we have to have an ear to listen to what God has to say. We have a heart to trust what he has said is true, and then go ahead and do what he's told you to do. That's a, that's a three-step process that's so happy, for, so, so important for us to, um, to live a happy life. If we'll hear God, we'll, we'll believe it, and we'll obey it. That can really change so many things. So this person of Elijah is a phen phenomenal story. He does many miracles. In fact, we see that later in, in the story, Elijah's taken up in a chariot of fire, and Elijah is one of three people spoken about in the Old Testament that did not die. That there, you know there has been a rapture in the Old Testament? Enoch was a man who was raptured. He didn't die. The Lord just took him into heaven. Elijah is one of these people. He was just raptured into heaven by a chariot of fire. Many people think that Moses, after he died, his body was actually raptured up into the heavenly places because you can't find his body today on Mount Sinai or Mount Carmel or any of the places where people think that Moses should have a grave. The Bible really says that his body was taken by the Lord. So many people think that Elijah and Moses are coming back. And there's, there's uh, some biblical foundation to believe that. Look in the book of Revelation chapter 11 verse 6. I want to read to you the description of the two witnesses that are predicted to come back in the last days. In Revelation chapter 11 says, I was given a measuring stick and I was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the number of worshipers. But do not measure the outer court for it's been turned in, over to the other nations. They will trample the holy city for 42 months. I will give power to my two witnesses and they will be clothed in burlap and prophesy during those 1260 days. The two prophets are the two olive trees, the two lampstands. Lampstands. There's a, a menorah right there. This is a Hanukkah menorah. There's the helper candle, and then the eight stems that represent the eight nights of, of uh, God's provision as he provided oil that did not burn out at the time of, of the Hanukkah, the time of the Maccabees. But uh, the lampstands, these two witnesses come at the, in the last days bringing the truth of God and prophesying to the world. Revelation 11.4 These two prophets are the two olive trees, the two lampstands that stand before the Lord in all of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire flashes from their mouths and consume their enemies. This is how anyone who tries to harm them must die. Now here's what specifically I believe but we can know that this is Elijah. Verse 6 They have power to shut the sky so that no rain will fall for as long as they prophesy. 
and they have the power to turn the rivers and oceans into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they wish. Well, who, who was it that said this, the sky will shut up and there will be no more rain? And that's Elijah. Right? If you talk to a typical Jewish person today, who do they set an empty table setting for at the, at the table for Passover? It's a table for Elijah. Who do you tell the children to go open the door and see if he's come this year? You look for Elijah because we believe that Elijah is going to return. And of course, we know the prophet that turned the waters of the Nile into blood. That was Moses. So many people think that these two prophets that are coming in the, at the last times, in the end, end times, are going to be Elijah and Moses. And so Elijah makes this proclamation back here in 1 Kings chapter 17 that no rain or dew is going to fall in the next few years until I give the word. Verse 2, And then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by the Kiriath brook, near where it enters the Jordan River, and drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. Isn't that something? God provided protection for Elijah. He provided fresh water. He provided food. God gave the prophet everything that he needed. All he had to do was trust and obey. <laughs> what do you have to do? Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Elijah was showing us the way. Hear what God says, believe what he says, trust in it, and then do what God says. That's the faith life. And so eventually the, book, the brook dries up and God says, it's time to move, Elijah. I got something else for you. It's time to pick up. Go to the next place. In verse 8, he says, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. And isn't it interesting, Sidon. Sidon, Sidonian, that is actually the village that Jezebel is from. God took Elijah and had him camp out in the place of his enemy. And Jezebel was the enemy of Elijah. He goes to Sidon, Jezebel's Sidonian. He sends Elijah to go to the place of his enemy, and does miracles there. He said, I have instructed a widow there to feed you. And so he goes to Zarephath. And this widow is just starving. Only a little bit of cooking oil and a little bit of flour. She said, I'm going to die. My son and I are going to die. And then um, I, I, I don't, we, we, we've we just resigned ourselves to the fact that we're going to starve to death. And then Elijah says this, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do what you've said. But first, make a little bread for me. And then what's left, with what's left, prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will be no, there will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and crops grow again. God says through Elijah, look, if you'll put me first, if you'll put God first, if you'll give first fruits, tithes and offerings, if you'll put God first place in your heart, put God first place in your, in your energy, in your past, in your time, your talent, in your treasure, if you put God first, he's always going to make sure you have what you need. You're not going to run out. And exactly this is exactly what happens. In fact, this woman's child dies. And it looks like God has done a terrible thing in the house. This is verse 17. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. And she said to Elijah, O man of God, what have you done to me? And yet Elijah prays for him. He stretches himself out over this child three times. 
says, O Lord, let this child's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he revived. And Elijah brought him down to from the upper room from, from where he was staying. He says, Look, your son is alive. And the woman told Elijah, Now I know for sure that you are a man of God, and that God truly speaks to you. God uses Elijah not only to rescue the widow and her son, but to show his glory, his goodness, his power in the city of his enemies. You know, God can show up in places where you're not welcome. <laughs> he can show his power in the city of your enemies. Even if you have to dwell in the city of your enemies, God is going to show himself strong through you. He can do supernatural miracles, provision. But what's the, what's the secret? If, if the woman had not given the bread to Elijah first, I don't think the miraculous creative miracle of never-ending oil and flour would have happened. She put God first. What do we have to do? We have to put God first. If we'll put him first in our hearts, in our minds, in our emotions, in our spirits, in our time, talent, and treasure, if we'll say, okay, God, all to you, I surrender, all to you, I freely give. I will ever love and trust you, and in your presence daily live, I surrender all. If we'll put God first, then he'll bless the rest. <laughs> it's amazing how this first fruits concept works, and it's seen throughout the Bible. That's the take and give. God puts in, he asks us to give back a first, and then we get to use the rest. And then if we have extra, we can bless others. And then he op we open our hands again, he provides more, we give back a first, and then we get to consume. And there's this ever-flowing fountain, a never-ending fountain of living water like Jesus talked about. That's what Elijah was seeing, the hand of God providing. And so that brings me probably to one of the greatest events of Elijah's life, the contest on Mount Carmel. God says, okay, I've shown, I've shown my power strong in the place of your enemies. Now it's time to go challenge this God Baal. I want you to go back to Ahab and tell him that it's time for the drought to end. This is 1 Kings chapter 18, later on in the third year of the drought. So three years have gone by with no water. And Ahab knows it's that little prophet from Gilead that's made it all happen. He hates him. He's, he's searching everywhere to, to kill this prophet. And he, sa he sends Elijah to go talk to Ahab. He says, go and present yourself to King Ahab and tell him that I will soon end the rain. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. And of course, this is, a, this is like a death sentence. And yet God spares his life. He confronts Ahab and he says, and he says, oh, the troubler of Israel, here you come. And Elijah says, I have made no trouble for Israel. You and your family are the troublemakers. For you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now, summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel along with 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who are all supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and, and the prophets to Mount Carmel. And Elijah stood in front of them. How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. And then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who's left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. 
The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut into pieces and lay the wood on their altar, but without setting a fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on an altar, but will not set fire to it. Then call in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. And then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls, prepare it, and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls, they placed it on the altar, and they called in the name of Baal, morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us! But there was no reply of any kind. They danced and they hobbled around the altar that they made. By noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You've... You have to shout a little louder, he scoffed, for surely he's a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming, or is relieving himself, or maybe he's away on a trip, or he's asleep, or needs to be awakened. (laughs) He had no fear, did he? So they shouted louder and followed their normal custom. They even cut themselves with knives and swords until their blood gushed out. And they raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. But still there was no sound, no reply, no response. And then Elijah called to the people, Okay, (laughs) come over here. And they all crowded around him as he prepared the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. And he took twelve stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild an altar for the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about three gallons. And he piled wood on the altar, and he cut the bull into pieces, and he laid the pieces on the wood. And then he said, fill the four large jars with water. Pour the water over the offering in the wood. And after they'd done this, he said, do do it again. When they were finished, he said, do it a third time. And they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and filled the trench. And at the usual time for the evening sacrifice, Elijah, the prophet, walked up to the altar and he prayed a simple prayer. He said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all of this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull and the wood and the stones and the dust. (laughs) And it even licked up the water in the trench. And all the people saw it and they fell face down on the ground and they cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord, He is God. And Elijah commanded, Seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. And so the people seized them all. And Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley, and he killed them there. Whew. Wow. The God who answers by fire. <laughs> it wasn't a man-made fire. It was, the, it was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That God who is a cloud by day and a fire by night. Can I tell you, his fire is still burning today. We have to let his fire consume all the sin and all the gook and the gunk and the evil thoughts and the impure motives and let that purifying fire refine us into the people that he wants us to be. The story, of course, continues after after he kills all the prophets of Baal. 
<laughs> Ahab is like, whoa, 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 whoa. The God who answers by fire. I'm going to have to rethink my life. So Elijah says to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm is coming. Now get, get, keep in mind, the skies are blue. There's no cloud in the sky. And he says, I hear a rainstorm coming. So Ahab went to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed low to the ground, and he prayed with his face between his knees. He said to his servant, Go and look out toward the sea. And the servant went and looked and returned to Elijah and said, I don't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go back and look. Finally, the seventh time, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Now this is how the eyes of faith work. Elijah shouted, Hurry up! And tell Ahab, tell him to climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. A cloud the size of a man's hand. Right? Soon, the sky was black with clouds, and a heavy wind brought a terrible and a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. And the Lord gave a special strength to Elijah, and he tucked his cloak into his belt, and he ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. It's interesting. So Ahab got home, and guess, guess who he told about God answering with fire? He told his wife, this pagan-worshipping woman from Sidon, the Sidonian princess named Jezebel. Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way that he had killed all the prophets of Baal. And Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you, just as you have killed them. And Elijah was afraid. And he fled for his life, and he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. You know what's interesting is our enemies can froth and foam and threaten. We can really feel the fear of the enemy when he breathes his threats. He, he says, hey, you don't have church. You don't even have a Bible study in your house. We're going we're gonna to arrest you. We're going we're gonna to fine you. You don't talk about this God anymore. You don't, you don't let your faith be a part of your career and your decision making. And if you do, we're going to silence you. We're going to ban you. We're, we're going to fake check you. Guess what? We are not here to live in fear of people. We're here to live in fear of God. And God can take care of our needs. Jesus says this. This is why I tell you, Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. This is why I tell you not to worry about it everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store in their barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? I think it's amazing that Elijah saw fire come down from heaven, and yet when his life was threatened, suddenly he was struck with fear. Even a man of God who has seen supernatural encounters can have a moment where the enemy can intimidate and bring fear and dread, and worry. And yet Jesus says, we're not to worry. The book of Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. We're not here to live in fear of people or of governments. We're here to live in the fear of the Lord. 
and to realize in the same way that he could take care of Elijah, the same way he could protect Elijah, the same way that he could provide food and water and a place to live for Elijah and answer with fire, God can do miracles in our lives the same way. And he wants to. Well, I'm going to land it right there for today. We're going to keep studying Elijah next week. But maybe you've come to a place where fear has taken over. Or maybe you, you have just not been living with Christ as the focus of your life. You have not been putting God first. But you want to put him first place in your heart. You want to begin to let God chase out the darkness and the fear in your life and say, Okay, God, I'm tired of doing things my way. I want to do them your way. There's no time like right now to say, God, I hear you. I hear your word. I hear your gospel. I believe it with my heart. And now I'm going to confess with my mouth that you're the Lord. And I'm not going to fear people anymore. I'm going to put my, my trust, my hope. I'm going to fear the Lord more than I fear people. If you need to do that today, would you give me a thumbs up and say, I need to say yes to Jesus. If, it's a, if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, there's a simple prayer that I love to lead people in called STP. It's simply sorry, thank you, please. It's saying, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Sorry for turning away from you. I'm going to trust in you. Thank you for dying for me. Please come into my heart. Be my Savior and my Lord. I want to live for you the rest of my life. I'm going to trust that one day I'm going to spend eternity with you. I believe that you died and rose again according to the scriptures. And now I want to live in relationship with you. If you'll, if you'll pray that prayer with me, we just pray right now out loud with me? Say, Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Please come into my heart. Be my Savior and be my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you pray that prayer, that's probably the most important prayer that you can pray. Uh, it, more important than, God, who should I marry or what career move should I make? Surrendering your life to God and to his care and control is the most important thing you can do. And after that, the next thing you should do is get a copy of God's word. Start reading the Bible. Find a local church. Get involved with other Christians. Grow in your faith. And as you do that, you'll become more and more like Jesus every day. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to sin. It's, it's, not, it's not like you're going to be a, an angel from now on and you, you'll only have pure thoughts and you'll never do anything wrong. No, that's, that's not it. Christians are not perfect. They're forgiven. And what God asks for you to do is to live in relationship with him. But when you fall, when you fail, say you're sorry. Make an amends. Keep living for Jesus and don't quit. Glad you joined me today. Thanks for hanging in there with me. I know we've had fits and starts with the with the feed today, but I believe God had a purpose in all of it. And I hope that you learned a lot from this study of Elijah. We'll continue with part two next Sunday. And uh, hopefully in, in two weeks. Now, a couple important announcements. If you want to support the ministry, you can follow the links on the uh, description below. But in two weeks, we're going to start resuming having in-person services at Castleview High School in the commons area downstairs and the backside of, of uh, Castleview High School. So invite a friend to come to in-person worship gatherings. We probably will have to register um, because they're asking uh, churches to have a registration so that we don't have too many people in any particular service. So we're going to figure out, between me and John Brighton and the school, we're going to figure out how many we can have at capacity for worship in each service, and then we will have registration for the 1030 
service. And if we if we start having an overflow of registrations and more people want to come to church, uh, we'll, we'll keep you informed of that here on our Facebook page, my Facebook wall, and over at Summit Church of Castle Rock on Facebook, mysummitchurch.com. You'll get more details about that. But thank you for joining me today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you, and give you his peace. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Have a wonderful week, everybody. We'll see you next Sunday. We'll see you during the week. Keep those people in your prayers who are sick and in the hospital right now. God has a plan for all of us. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Take care. Bye-bye.